church, okay? So, so we all need that time just to, to unplug, get away, and uh, ask God to work in our hearts, right? But then number two, the, the second purpose was uh, to, to pray for and to seek gospel renewal, okay? So when we talk about gospel renewal, what we're talking about is the power of the gospel at work in our hearts in such a way to, to change us and to transform us. And when we start to experience that, we never want it to stop with us, of course, but we begin to pray that it would uh, happen for those around us and even uh, for entire cities, right? So uh, we were going with the expectation God Give us a, a new, a fresh um, desire for your gospel to renew our own hearts for the hearts of those that are a part of Redemption Hill Church and also for our great city of Boston. So before we left to go on the trip, both Marsha and I were praying, just asking God simply, God, would you speak to our hearts? Like, would you, would you speak so clearly and specifically that we would understand this is unmistakably you? We were expecting God to move in our hearts. And this is how we should actually come to, to church, worship every single Sunday, right? And so we had this prayer, and, and, and I have to admit, the, the conference was, was very good. There was, some, there was some great singing, there was, there was some great times of prayer, uh, there were some great messages that we heard, but, but Monday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, uh, time was ticking past, and I just never really, to be honest, had that aha moment that I, that I felt like God was really going to prick my heart and grab my attention. And so on the very last day of the conference, the very final message of the conference, after this pastor from Las Vegas shared a message about prayer and gospel renewal, um, we had a time to respond to God. And he invited us just to pray and to seek God. And so uh, I was sitting on the aisle, which made it very easy for me just to kind of uh, get down on my knees and to pray. And I asked that God would make me a more desperate individual, desperate to see him work in my life, desperate to see him work in our church, desperate to see him work in our city. And as I was there kneeling, Asking God to do this, I felt God tap me on the shoulder, not with any kind of audible voice, but, but in the, the way that the Spirit can just speak to our souls. He said this, Tanner, you are a pretty driven person, but you are not very desperate. Listen, I don't know any kind of church planter. Church planters are those who uh, move to a new area to start new churches, okay? Like, no one's moving to Las Vegas. No one's moving to Boston, Massachusetts, okay, to start a new church that doesn't have a measure of, like, godly ambition, some drive in our souls, right, that believe God can do anything that he wants to do. And so uh, I could see that. That resonated with me. Like, man, I'm willing to put extra hours in. I'm ready to, to go the extra mile. I am ready to give everything that I've got. I'm a pretty driven individual. It comes to me pretty honestly. I saw this example in my father, who's a very successful basketball coach, but I also believe it comes by God's spirit. He produces these things in us. So, so, but to hear God say, Tanner, you're pretty driven, but you're not very desperate. I began to pray, God, would you make me a desperate man? God, would you make me a desperate pastor? Would you give me the privilege of serving as one of the pastors of a people who would also agree with that and say like, yes, we want to be desperate to see God at work in us and through us. So what does it mean to be desperate? When we are desperate, we want something so badly, and yet we understand that that what we, which we want is beyond us. We, we can't grasp it with our own hands. There's a measure of impossibility that sits in, okay? When, when someone is desperate, it is like they are traveling through the desert, on a desert journey, and they have just taken their last sip of water. That is a desperate individual. Man, I am going to get thirsty. Where is my next drink going to come from? This is the kind of desperation that God wants to build into our hearts. And so this, this morning, 
I want you to think with me about these measures of impossibilities that surround our lives, these things that we want to see God do in us and that we want to see God do through us. And I want us to take our impossibilities and I want us to consider the God of the impossible. This is where Paul is going to take us in Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. And I'm going to ask you to read these verses with me out loud, okay? So let's read these verses together, starting in verse 20, where it says, now to him. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay, now these verses right here are huge. They're huge. They're huge for anyone that reads the Bible for the first time. They're they're huge for anyone who is familiar with this letter to the Ephesians and where Paul has placed them in the letter. They are so huge that we have selected these two verses as what we call our meta-memo verse of the year. Okay, now we have these little verses, all right, around redemption. I know that sounds like gibberish to you. Okay, but we have meta-memo verses every single week that we want to meditate on, think about over and over with the goal, the hope of actually memorizing them, internalizing them. Okay, you guys? that? You follow me? Meta, memo, meditate, memorize. Okay, so there's always, a, there's always a verse on the back of your worship guide every single week. Meta, memo, verse. Okay, this week is uh, chapter 3. There we go. Uh, verse 21. All right. Well, this is the one for the entire year. We just want to keep reminding ourselves of this verse. Hide it in our heart that we would see God burn his truth uh, on our heart. Now, now let's, just, let's just ask, why is Paul praying this right here? In chapters 1, 2, and 3, he has laid out the believer's identity in Christ. Chosen, predestined, adopted, loved, lavish grace upon, inherited, given the Spirit. Unlimited power is available to us. He says in chapter 2 that for everyone who is in Christ, they have been made spiritually alive when they were once dead on the inside. That's exactly what he says. Just go back and read Verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. I can't make this stuff up. Dead people on the inside become alive through the power of God, through faith in Christ. But he he doesn't stop there. He goes on, and in light of how God has brought us back together with him and one another, he prays this bold prayer that we looked at last week. And I'm going to summarize it for you, okay, in case you missed last week or you just need a refresher. All right, here we go. He says, I pray that God, by his spirit, would strengthen you on the inside so that you would know how broad and long and high and deep is the love of Christ that surpasses our comprehension And he wants us to know this love so that we would, verse 19, be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able. Now to him who is able to do that. Do do you see the connection here? Let me put it in plain terms. Paul is praying for the impossible. He's asking God to make us like Jesus. And if that phrase has just kind of become like churchy anity to you, that like, yeah, we become more like Jesus, da 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 da, okay, think about this. The reason we feel that way in our hearts, I'm just gonna, you know, hey, here we go. We don't understand how holy and glorious and perfect God is. We couldn't even see uh, his glory with our physical eyes. It's too radiant, it's too bright, it's too glorious. And yet, Paul is, is saying, fill them with your fullness. Make them like you. He's praying for the impossible. And so it's little wonder that Paul, in light of everything that God has done, and in light of what he just prayed, he would bring this word of praise to God because he really believes that God can do it. He believes that God can do anything. Now to him who is able. 
to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So this is what I want to do this morning, okay? I want to ask you three questions. And I want, this is like, this should be, again, this should be happening like every single Sunday when we get together, all right? But, but like really today, could we earnestly look within our hearts and answer three questions, okay? My points are in the form of questions, and the first one is this. I hope you'll look deep within your heart to ask this question. Do you believe in the power of God to work beyond your imagination? Do you believe in the power of God to work beyond your imagination. Let's break these words down phrase by phrase. Number one, Paul says, now to him who is able. God is able. God is powerful. Whenever we are tempted to question the ability of God, perhaps we can remind ourselves that the God to whom we pray is the God who spoke the world into existence and holds one billion trillion stars. Okay, that's what scientists say are out there. Okay, I had to look that up. I didn't know that. They didn't teach me that in kindergarten. Okay, one billion trillion stars are burning in the universe, and they are burning because God keeps them burning. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. I hope this this knowledge of God and his ability and his accessibility to us because of the work of Christ on the cross, which brings us into this intimacy with God, and we now are calling him Father. I hope that this compels us and motivates us to pray. Let me put it to you this way, okay? Whenever I need a couple of dollars when, like, my family is hanging out, you know, maybe we're on a trip or or just, you know, out and about, okay, this is what I don't do, all right? Whenever I need a couple of dollars, I'm not going to my three-year-old, Kessid Grace, and asking her for any kind of spare change because, look, she is perma-broke, all right? You know what? The, I mean, you didn't know. You never heard that word before. That's permanently broke. Okay, that's how I talk sometimes with my family. You are perma broke. I'm not asking you for one dollar, two dollars, three dollars. You don't have it. But like that. But I'm gonna go with my sugar mama. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> M Turl. All right. She got a couple bucks for me. When when I ask for a couple bucks, you know what she say? She said, I got a lot more than that for you. Uh-huh. All right. So that's, that's my wife, right? That's my wife. She loves me. She's got the resources. Now, we're having some fun here, but, but, but let's make the connection, right? When I need God to do something impossible in my life, when I need God to do his great work in the lives of those that I love, when I need God to move the hearts of people in this city who, I, who, who do not yet know him, I, I'm not going to you guys. Like, as much as I love you, I have a lot of confidence in you, okay? Like, you cannot change anyone's heart. That's why I'm going to the throne of grace. God is able. But Paul goes on and he says a couple of things about God's ability, okay? Number one, he says God is able to do far more abundantly. So God is a God of super abundance. Paul actually coins a term here in verse 20 that scholars call a super superlative, okay? Basically what they're saying is Paul makes up words to talk about how great God is. He stretches the limits of the Greek vocabulary to try to convey what he really can't convey with words. And so some have translated this vastly more than more or infinitely more. This is how able God is. I hope that you will underline that in your Bible, write it in your notes, and I hope that as you do it, listen, I'm praying that these words make us uncomfortable today. 
You say, what do you mean, Tanner? Like, why would you pray that we would be uncomfortable? Don't you want everyone who comes to Redemption Hill to feel comfortable, to feel loved, to feel welcome? Absolutely. That's not what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. That God would kind of get up into our space a little bit and and help us question if we, like we're so prone to do, often will put him inside of a box. You, You ever been there? I'm there. God, I know you can do that, but I'm not so sure about this. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the greatest sin of the Christian and of the church is to limit God according to the measure of our minds. Let's not be those who put God in a box. Let's not limit God on what he can do because he is able to do far more abundantly, exceedingly more, infinitely more, more than more, vastly more than more than we can ask or think. That's number two. God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think from the smallest detail in life to the biggest challenges and opportunities. God's ability to give out exceeds that which we can pray or that which we can even imagine. His ability goes beyond. His ability to come through and to provide in abundance goes beyond what we could even think to pray. And so I just wanna, I just wanna encourage you for a moment. Okay? Whatever it is in your life, I want to encourage you. Would you just kind of gaze into the character of God? Look at how glorious He is. Look at how powerful He is. And walk away with some encouragement. I mean, when we see God for who he is, we can have ultra confidence, all right? We can actually kind of be, all right, I know you're going to get nervous when I say this, we can be cocky for God. Right? We don't, we're not saying cocky in ourselves. We're not walking around with a strut. Hey, look at us, man. We believe we're all this and that. All right? But I'm just saying, look, when we pray, we're saying God has got this. You know what I'm saying? When we, when we come to God in prayer, we are saying, Jesus, insert yourself into the equation and do only what you can do. And we can really believe that he has got it taken care of. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Let me, let me ask you some questions. How daring are your prayers? How daring? How audacious are your prayers? Are you living your life with great faith? Are you living your life with microscopic faith? Some of you are probably sitting there and you're thinking, you know what, Tanner, I'm not to great faith, but I'm kind of, I'm like, I'm moving in the right direction. I'm saying like, man, that is awesome. Praise God for that, man. Be encouraged. Just pray that God would increase your faith by degrees, little by little, that he would take you into greater faith. Some of you are saying, you know what, man, I have microscopic faith today. I'm just going to be honest. But I know that God is able I know he's able to move me. I'm like, I'm praying with that father who came to Jesus and he said, if you're, if you're able to do this, if it's possible, would you have compassion? And Jesus says, if you can, you're talking to, you're talking to the, the, the one who made the universe here, like all things are possible for him who believes. And the man says, help, I believe, help, help my unbelief. So maybe that's what you need to pray today. It's like, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. God wants to grow us in our faith. He wants us to exercise day by day, week by week, greater faith in who he is and what he can do. I love the words of A.W. Tozer. You want to write these down or download the sermon notes uh, sometime after the service. Okay, because this is what he said. Listen to this. Pseudo faith, false faith, always arranges a way out to serve in case God fails. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any second way or makeshift substitutes. Listen to this. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse. Anybody, anybody going to pray like that? God, God this has to be you. 
All my chips are on the table on you. It's not, yeah, I'm going to pray, but I really, you know, I'm not sure. And it's, I'm going to, you know, like, God is calling us. But by faith, as he builds it in us, I know we need his help, but he's calling us to place everything on him, to cast it all on him. There is a story from the Old Testament that I love. It's the story of Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 18. You can turn there if you want, or it's up on the screen for you if you just want to read off the screen. Verses 41 through 46 are some of the greatest verses in the Bible, in my humble estimation, on having great faith and praying desperate prayers. I want to read through these verses, and I'm going to break them down as we go. Okay, this is what it says. First uh, Kings 18, verse 41, it says this. And Elijah said to Ahab, he was the king at that time, go up eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. Now, why is this a big deal? (laughs) What you need to know is that it had not rained for three and a half years before Elijah and Ahab go up on the mountain. If you want to do the math, that's 1,000, some of you are uh, mathematicians out here, okay, 1,278 days. You probably just did that in your mind. You, you guys are too smart for your own good, all right? So, so, so 1,278 days, there had been no rain, and so Elijah says, I hear the sound of the rushing of rain. Now, why is this an even bigger deal? It's because there were no clouds in the sky, He didn't hear the sound of rushing rain with his physical ears. He heard the sound of rushing rain with the ears of his heart. And so we go on in verse 42, as desperate times call for desperate measures. What does he say? It says, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees so that he could pray that it would rain. Is it it possible to get any lower than on your knees with your head in between your knees just begging that God would send rain because he promised to do it? Last week we saw in verse 14 of Ephesians that Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And we said, hey, what a marvel uh, idea there. Why don't we from time to time like get on our knees before God and ask him to work in our lives and in the lives of those that we care about? And I hope that some of you experienced that this week. Whoever like actually physically got down on your knees, like did you regret it? Yeah, me me either. So there's a desperation even in in how his posture is here in prayer. Now, Now verse 43. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And, and he said, go again seven times. Okay, do you, do you picture what's going on here? Elijah has a servant that's, that's traveling with him. And, and he says, look, I'm praying that it's going to rain. Why don't you go up and look over the mountain and see if the rain is coming. He goes once, he comes back, uh, Elijah, I don't see any rain. Elijah says, we'll go again. The servant goes again up to the top of the mountain. He looks out over the horizon, and he doesn't see any rain. He comes back. He says, there's still nothing. Elijah says, we'll go again. And the servant goes, and he comes back, and he says, Elijah, still nothing. A fourth, a fifth, a sixth time. Elijah says, go up again. A seventh time he goes. And I mean, does it not take a little bit of audacity with your head between your knees and it hasn't rained for 1,278 days and you're saying, go again, nothing. Go again, nothing. Go again, nothing. Like maybe I missed it. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe, maybe I didn't read it right. Verse 44. And at the seventh time, He said, behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, 
the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And the, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Okay, God wants us to, God wants us to consider. He wants to know if we are desperate enough to get on our knees and beg him to move. Are we willing, like, to get down and smell the dust on the carpet? Are we willing to get down on our knees and pray until our knees hurt? And listen, I don't talk like a madman every Sunday, okay? This is not what you get every Sunday at Redemption Hill. But this is exactly what this text is talking about, and so I'm going to talk like a madman today because this is what God, I believe, is calling us to as followers in Christ. God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Let's do away with alternate routes and pseudo-faith, and let's cast everything on God because he is able. Listen, let me just testimony here. We would have never moved. This isn't pray, uh, pray, God, like let it not be pride, okay? We would have never moved to Medford to start a church if we didn't see a cloud. I mean, people, people talk about Boston. It's, it's the church planter's graveyard. You don't go to Boston and plant a church. That's where, that's where churches are turned into condos. But we believe that God is able pretty overwhelming. We still believe that God is able. That's why we've ordered 15,000 direct mailers to go out to residences across Medford for Easter. That's why we've ordered 10,000 invite cards. You just received 500 that were made at Staples yesterday because the company that guaranteed them to be here Friday are going to be here tomorrow. Okay, so we'll have even more for you next week. We're going to get them out. We have a team coming in. It's going to be awesome. All right, but, but 10,000 invite cards so that we can invite those that we care about to come and join us to hear about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on Easter. We see clouds in our city. And some of you may be thinking, like, Tanner, this is, this is, this is great, like, I want to have greater faith. I'm going to pray that God would give me greater faith. I'm going to get down on my knees this week. I'm going to do something that I haven't done in a long time or perhaps ever. But, but where does this lead me after that point? And here's what I want you to see. This kind of faith does not remove us from the equation, but it actually compels us to action. Because the rest of verse 20 says that this God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think says that he does it what? Look at verse, verse 20, the last part. According to the power at work within us. You should just like stumble when you read that. This should cause us to stagger. That the, the, the God who made the world and everything in it, in all of his power, he places that power to be at work within broken people like me and you. And so the second question I have for you this morning is this. Are you willing to allow God to display his power through you? Are you willing? Are you willing to allow God to display his power through you. God's spirit is working. Okay, that, that word means that he is actively energizing us, giving us strength, moving us to be about his business and his will for our lives, his desires for us. And so what happens is this, okay? We pray, God, you are able to do anything. And we just start asking for, 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 for these miracles, right? That God would change us and that he would make us new and he would. But then God looks back at us and he says, I am going to change you. And not only that, I am going to use you to be an agent of change in the lives of those around you. 
according to the power at work within us. So, so listen, let's, t- let's take these one at a time. I am going to change you. Do you remember verse 19? Let's not forget it. Paul's praying that we would be filled to the fullness of God. Listen, I know that you are not filled to the fullness of God today. I know you are an imperfect person. I know that you have sin in your heart. I know that you think things that you ought not to think. I know that you do things that you ought not to do. I know that even on your best days, there there are still traces of selfishness in your heart, right? This is who we are. This is who I am. So no one has arrived yet, and yet God still does this powerful work in us to make us more and more and more like Jesus. So I just want to ask you today, what is the one thing that is really just kind of crippling your life spiritually? What is the one thing that you just beg that God would change in you, that he would make you more like Christ? Perhaps it's freedom from anxiety. You are just prone to worrying and, and, and sweating it out, not knowing what's going to happen. You're, you're concerned about the future. And so anxiety just kind of rules your mind and rules your heart. Perhaps it's self-control. Maybe self-control in your battle against sexual temptation. Maybe some of you just would really love to see God produce humility in the pr- place of pride. For others, perhaps, is that God would root out anger that so easily wells up in your heart when you're at work or when you're in your neighborhood and when you're driving around Boston with all these crazy drivers, and, and he would just produce some, some patience and some kindness in your heart to replace that anger. What is it for you? Do you believe that God is able? I mean, he's looking back at you and he's saying, I'm gonna change you if you'll, if you'll just place yourself into my hands. He wants to do a great work in your heart. And as we talked about last week, he does this great work in us so that he might display his power through us. So that's why he says, I'm gonna change you, but I'm also going to use you to bring my change to others. So I know we're getting personal here this morning, all right? But, but I just want to ask you, do you believe that God can use you? Not like Pastor Tanner and Pastor John and John and the leadership team. They see clouds. I don't see clouds. That's for them, not for me. His mission is, is on their shoulders, not mine. If, if you think that God's mission is not for you, you are shortchanging the God who wants to work radically in your life. God can use you. He wants to use you. The spirit, if you are in Christ, the spirit that is in you is no different than the spirit that is in me. He wants to use you for his glory. Listen, would you pray this simple prayer? God, what would you have me do? I mean, you write it down, but really think about it before you pray it. Because if you pray this with sincerity, I'm telling you, this is a dangerous prayer. This is a prayer of surrender. God, what would you have me do? There was a man in 1857, named Jeremiah Lanfear, who prayed this prayer in New York City, okay? About four hours from here, he was, uh, he was a missionary there to the city of New York, and uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't a part of a church, he wasn't on staff, he wasn't paid, he was just, he was just a, a layman who had raised some, some funds to be on mission for God so that he could devote himself to the work of God. And so he was, he was doing his thing, man. God had grabbed a hold of his heart. He was desperate to see God move in New York City. Times were tough. People weren't uh, believing much in, in God, just like today in Boston. And so uh, he, he was out sharing and praying and, and trying to, to witness for Christ and, and, and not seeing a lot of fruit. And so he, he just prayed this prayer, God, what would you have me do? And, and over a series of time, God led him to start a prayer meeting. 
from noon until one o'clock on Wednesday. The plan was every Wednesday, whoever could come for this drop-in prayer meeting, they were welcome to come and join, join Jeremiah Lanfear to pray for God's work in them and God's work through them in their city. And on September 23rd, 1857, at 12 o'clock, the, the clock strikes 12, and guess who's there? Jeremiah Lanfear. 30 minutes pass, one person walks in the door. By the end of that hour, six people had gathered to pray. One week later, 20 are there praying. Another week after that, 30 to 40 people were, were gathering for prayer, and they then decided at that point, hey, we're not going to make this a weekly thing. We're going to make this a daily thing for who could ever can come. And so in the middle of October, they started to see 100 people show up. Six months later, 10,000 people were praying in various locations around New York City, begging God to move. And this was part of what some historians have called the third great awakening. God, what would you have me do? I got to tell you, it's, it's been uh, over uh, 160 years, and we haven't seen the fourth great awakening happen in our, in our country. I'm just saying, like, why not us? Why not now? Why not beg God that he would do it? Why not start in Boston? I mean, I don't, I don't care where he starts, but I mean, wh why, why wouldn't we pray like that? I'm going to be here next Sunday at 7 a.m. to pray for an hour before our serve team starts setting everything up. I know that's early. I know it's a Sunday. I know it's your day off. Don't feel like you have to come. You're not more accepted in God's eyes. You're not more spiritual than those who come if you stay in bed or pray from home. Okay, I'm just, but whoever wants to come and pray at 7 a.m., we're gonna pray on March 22nd. We're gonna pray on March 29th. We'll see about April 5th. That's Easter. We've got a little more setup to do, but I think we're probably gonna pray that Sunday too for those that are not getting things set up from 7 to 8. And we're going to ask God to move in our hearts, move in our church, move in our city. God, what would you have me do? God, God wants to, to change us so that not only he can, we can experience the joy, but so that he can use us to bring his change to others. And so that is why we just create little tools at Redemption Hill, okay? This is, this is nothing novel, okay? Anyone could think of, of, of a card with a 20 blanks on it, all right? This is how smart we are. 20 blanks. For crying out loud, we've called it the list, What is that, man? The list. This is what it is. It's, it's so that people that we care about could be prayed for in the hopes that they would one day, sooner than later, come to know Jesus and get connected into the people uh, that belong to him. So, so who is impossible for you to reach? I'm just saying, like, who do you believe in your heart of hearts? If you're being honest, man, that person is never going to come to faith in Christ because they are so distant from God. I'm just saying, would right now you take out a pen and write their name at the top of the list? And if you don't have that name, okay, then ask God to give you that name. Take a pen and put it uh, at the top of the list. And then also, of course, start writing other people's names that you think might be likely to come, right? We want to ask those people, too. We want to pray for those people, too. But, but this is why we, we did this, by the way, uh, four years ago in the middle of March before April 10, 2011, when we started Redemption Hill Church. We gave our core group, you remember this, Jody, Pastor John, uh, about 30 people, 30, 40 people, and we gave them a white Microsoft Word. Okay, we couldn't afford these things back then, all right? You know? So we had Microsoft Word working for ourselves. And we had the list up at the top with 20 blanks. You remember this, Ken Law? We said, just pray. Like, and so you may have one person. You may have 20 people. You may want five other cards and pray for one. I don't, it doesn't matter, okay? We're not, we're not earning our way to heaven here with the list card. All right? I mean, I'm going to give you a hug if you invite one person or if you invite 201 people, okay? It doesn't, it, that's not the point, okay? The point is that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That's the point. 
God, what would you have me do? We are praying that everyone at Redemption Hill would reach one person. And, and, and that is, that, but that is an impossible prayer. Can I just put that on the table? Like, that is impossible. But we're going to pray it anyway. Because we believe that God is able. Are you willing to allow God to display his power through you? Number three, why would we pray and live like this? Why would we pray and live like this? Look at verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the answer. We are pursuing the glory of God at work in us and in the work of his son who is dwelling in us. So we want people in Boston to not think, oh man, what a great people. They're so nice. They do so many nice things. They serve their city. They love each other. I mean, we want them to think that, but, but, but the reason we want them to see that is because we want them to say, man, their God is amazing. Their God is spectacular. I need in on some of that because I'm not seeing that around me and I'm certainly not seeing it in my own life. This is why we need to pray and live like people who are radically committed to God. And you may be thinking this, okay? I just know this is going through your mind. It goes through my mind too. What if we pray? What if we pray on our knees Today, tomorrow, on the 22nd, on the 29th, and, and we've got our list card filled out. I already see some names on there. I love it. All right, and we're praying for all these people, and not one of them show up. What happens? Is God less able? Is God less glorious? Is God uh, less powerful? Absolutely not. You may be praying for a spiritual breakthrough in your heart that you know that you need, and, and it may not happen overnight. You may ask God for the impossible, for someone that you love. They've been diagnosed with cancer. They just got laid off from work. I mean, whatever it may be. And, and God may not answer that prayer overnight. In fact, he may not answer it in the way that you want him to at all. What happens then? God is still seated on his throne. God is still the king. God still has the last word. He will one day overcome all injustice and suffering. We can bank on it. But, but, but let, me just, let me just give you a little more than that, okay? When, when we pray a second time, a third time, four, fifth, sixth, seven times, desperately before God, you know what God does? He works his power within us. He changes us. He helps us to trust him more. And, and, and I love this, man. I love it. When we pray the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh time, do you know what we're saying to everyone around us? God is still the answer. I don't have a plan B here. God is the one who has the solution, and so I'm going to keep coming to him. Andrew Murray, in his little book called Waiting on God, write this down. He said this, waiting on God ascribes to God the glory of being all to us. Waiting on God ascribes to God the glory of being all to us. Do you see that? When I wait on God for that, for that work in my own soul and the, and the work of those in my community group and those that I love in this church and in my family and, and pray for, for things to change and move and I just keep coming to him and I keep waiting and I keep coming to him and I keep waiting, what I'm saying is, God, you have the answer and people can say, look, yes, this person really believes that God has the answer and he's gonna receive glory as we wait for him to respond. And so how long do we do this? Giving God glory by our faith-filled prayers and our faith-filled life, this is the goal throughout all generations forever and ever, amen.
amen. And there is no throwaway word in the Bible. Paul says amen at the end of verse 21 because he is essentially saying, yes, this is true. I'm putting my stamp of affirmation on it. And so what I want to ask you to do today is to say yes. I'm asking you to put your stamp of affirmation on this. And, and the way that we would do this, that we would see God's power move us to desperate prayer and joyful service all for his glory is this. It will happen. Our yes will happen by the way that we pray today and this week. Our yes will, 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 will be put on God's table when we step out in faith and ask God for the impossible and then actually move to do something about it. Not just praying for that person we think that's going to slam the door in our face, and they very well might, but, but even to go and actually invite them. To actually go and say, hey, could I just have a little conversation with you? I'll buy you a cup of coffee. I can't afford lunch, but I, I got some, some spare change from my wife for a cup of coffee. And, you know... That's how we put our yes on the table. So we're going to put, as God leads, we're going to put our yes down right now. We're going to do something a little different. I'm going to invite Mike and the the team to come up. We're just going to have some moments of prayer. And and I've I've, I've given some some guidance here. If you want to look up on the screen, okay, this this certainly accords with with what we've talked about today, maybe you would just begin by praying. I mean, you may not even get past the first bullet point. You might just pray like, God, what would you have me do? You might not even get past that. But could you just pray that prayer today? God, what would you have me do? Is there a neighbor I can serve? Is there a coworker that I can invite? Is there, is there, is there something that I need to change that doesn't look like Jesus? Would you show me that so I can become more like him and be used by you? Uh, Perhaps you want to pray for an area of your life that needs God's transforming power. Maybe you would pray this prayer that we threw out uh, two weeks ago. God, I pray that everyone at Redemption Hill would reach one person for your fame, not ours. Give us wisdom, grace, and boldness. Amen. Maybe maybe you just want to take five minutes to take this list card, and and you already have a, a few people written down, and you just want to pray for them. Maybe the best thing you can pray is this, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And if you're new to Christianity and you've never even prayed before, that's okay. We actually have written out a little prayer for you in the worship guide, and you can, you can just pray it if God leads you. You can just ask God to show you if he's real. Is Jesus really real? Does he really rise from the dead? You can just ask God to show you that as we pray together. But, but Micah and, and, the, and, the, and the team are gonna just play some instrumental, and then in a few moments, I'm gonna pray. And then we're going to sing that Jesus is all to us, and we're going to ask him to move powerfully in our lives. Let's, let's pray together. Kneel if you want. Stand if you want. Pray with someone else if you want. There, there are no rules here. Let's pray.
God, would you show us more of your glory? Father, help us to be in awe of you, be, in, be amazed by how glorious you are, by the great links of your love that you uh, spared no expense when you sent your son to live a perfect life and to die in our place that we might uh, have a relationship with you now and to become the righteousness of God through his sacrifice. God, we give you praise and we ask that you would show us what you would have us to do. Lord, give us the courage, give us the boldness to step out and to do it. Lord, give us the faith to believe that you can change anything in our hearts to make us more like Christ. Give us the faith to believe, Lord, help our unbelief to know that you can use us to be on the greatest adventure the world has ever known, the the adventure of your mission, to point people to you. God, we we needed someone to point us to you, and so, Lord, you, you turn around and look at us and say, go and do likewise. Freely you have received, freely, freely give. So, God, help us to freely give. Help us to be desperate for you, Lord. May, may we get down on our knees, not once, not, not twice, Lord. Make, make us desperate. May this be a regular thing. Whether, whether no one, we're not doing this on the street corners. We're not doing this to be seen. We're not, we're not trying to manipulate you, God. We just want to see you glorified in our city and glorified in our, in our lives. And so, Lord, would you do the impossible, Lord? Would you bring your life to those who need you?